Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hearts to Mom podcast. I'm Lauren Rose. Forgive my voice today. I've got some allergy things going on. Today's guest is Fran Garten. Fran is a pain reduction coach, body positive personal trainer, and fibromyalgia warrior who helps women who desperately want to live pain free. She teaches clients to identify triggers, reduce stress, and set boundaries with easy to implement mindset, movement, and nutrition strategies. In her free time, you can find her hanging out with her furry donkeys and kittens, engaging in her old lady cross-stitch addiction, or having a dance party. <laughs> Welcome, Fran. You sound like fun. Thanks for having me. I try to have fun. <laughs> Life is short. You gotta have fun. Yes. I try to do that more. I definitely do it more now that I have a child. <laughs> oh, yes. That that child child can be, kids can be giving giving you the opportunity to have fun, but then sometimes you're too tired to have fun, I think. Or I'm just not in a creative mood, but yet she wants to go do creative play and it's yes. a struggle. <laughs> yes, agreed. Yep. You kind of just, I don't know, go with it. <laughs> Try. I don't know what the yeah. word is. I just yeah. do my, just do my best yeah. for, for as long as I can. So please share your chronic pain story with us. What conditions you have, what you've tried, what's helped, what hasn't. Yeah. Um, so I would say I spent about a year and a half in extreme pain. And so when I mean extreme pain, about a 15 out of 10 is where I was. So I basically spent my days taking gravel for nausea, ibuprofen, whatever medications I could for pain, which didn't really help and resting as much as I could and not really participating in life. And the pain was like bolts of electricity being shot through my hands and arms and legs and feet. And it would just jolt you awake. And when I say that, it's, it's funny when I think back on it now, because I didn't really sleep. I passed out because I was so exhausted and then I would be bolted awake from this pain that just, I didn't know what was causing it and I didn't know how to help it because nothing helped like no topical creams, no medication, like nothing really helped. And the process here where I am in Ontario, Canada might be different than other places. Like as you go through the medical system, you know, first you have to have an x-ray, then you have the ultrasound, then the CT, then the MRI, then the bones, like you have to go through everything. So, and that stuff's not fast. It takes time. So it, it can take anywhere from up to two years to go, to get to a rheumatologist, to get to a specialist and then get a diagnosis. Um, so just did lots of testing and ruling stuff out was basically what they were doing. And then when they finally ruled everything out, they're like, oh, you have fibromyalgia. And so for me, you know, I'm kind of textbook when it comes to the pain points. So for fibro, there are 18 different pain points in the body that when they touch you, like light touch, that you actually feel pain. And I have 14 of them. And they're like very, like, even when I go for massage, I don't even have to tell them I have fibro because they just touch me. They go, oh, you have fibromyalgia because just them, just that light touch sends pain through my body, right? It's very receptive. So it took a while. It took a lot of living with pain before I finally got my diagnosis. And it was, I, I really just checked out of life for a year and a half because I couldn't do anything. I canceled a lot of things. I didn't go to a lot of places. 
And the worst part, I think, with many people that have chronic pain is we just go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And we just push through and we keep doing it, whatever we're doing, work, life, family, friends, because it's just easier to just say, I'm fine, than to explain what it's like. I, and I, I, I talked to somebody about this once and I said, you know, it's, I used to lie. So I think chronic pain people also lie in the sense of when I have to cancel something. I would say I'm sick. I have I have the flu or I have a cold because I have found in my experience that when I say I had pain for fi- from my fibro, people will be like, "Well, just like take an Advil. Like what's the big deal? Take a Tylenol. Go have a nap." Right? But it didn't help. But when I said, "Oh, I'm sick. Like I have the flu or I have a cold." They would be like, "Oh, stay home and rest." And it, which I find very ironic because the pain is worse than a cold. I mean, but they're thinking of, oh, well, I could catch that from you. So I don't want you to come, right? Stay and take care of yourself. But when you say you have pain, you don't really understand. So I did lie a lot. I, I, I had the, a cold and the flu a lot in that year and a half because it just, it was easier for me to say that than to not, to say that I, to actually say I have pain. Uh, so that's sort of kind of what happened. And um, many people say fibro is triggered by some kind of traumatic event. And prior to that happening, um, to getting my diagnosis a year and a half prior to that, I ended up um, with vision loss and a migraine and I was in bed for four months. And I think mm-hmm. that that was the event that sort of triggered everything. So that was a really big health scare. And it was completely connected to stress. So that resolved. And then I went through all the pain with fibro. And, you know, what did I try? Pretty much everything. (laughs) Whatever someone says will work. You're like, okay, I'll try that. Because you're just, I think when you get a chronic condition and you don't have a diagnosis, like you just have pain, you don't really know what to do. And you're just willing to try anything, I think. So I did do a lot of... um, movement. The mistake I think I made was I didn't change the way that I was looking at how I move. And I didn't change the way that I was um, doing things in my life. That was the, those are the biggest mistakes that I make, not realizing I'm a different person. So for example, I would, if I were exercising, I would do it a little bit slower, or maybe I wouldn't lift as much weight, or I'd have longer breaks and more recovery time, but I still believe that I could do the things that everybody else did, but I couldn't. And so that was a big piece that really didn't work. You, you really have to come to terms with the fact that you're a different person now and your body responds differently to things. And so pain could happen 24 hours later, it wouldn't necessarily happen right after I did an activity. It would be the next day or two days later, and it could be a flare for three or four days. And so I just, the at the beginning of the diagnosis, what I did was I just planned that, okay, I'm doing this thing with family, which means I'm going to be in bed for two days. And that's mm-hmm. how I plan my schedule. And which is not, is not a good idea. (laughs) I don't recommend that because you're not changing anything, right? You're not living in the body and in the life that you have now after diagnosis, because 
it's not the same as it was before diagnosis. So you really do, I think, have to change your mindset about what your life looks like. And talking about it was a thing that really did work. Like you have to tell people what's happening instead of just saying, you know, oh, I don't feel good or I'm in pain. Like they need to understand what that's like for you and you need to ask for what you need. So if you need help with something, you have to ask for help. And I think that for me was one of the biggest challenges as well. I just can do everything myself. I don't need other people to do it for me, right? I'm a superhero, you know, you know, push through, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> Doing it myself didn't work. So yeah, ask for help. So really uh, shifting the way that I looked at myself was very helpful. Looking at the foods that I was eating, that was um, a big thing because some foods cause inflammation, which then triggers the pain. Um, and working on opening your mind to trying different things. So in my life, I was very active. I'm a personal trainer. I was a fitness instructor. So I did traditional workouts, like typical weighted workouts. And I had to change my perspective on what movement looks like for me. And so now do I lift weights? Not very often because my body doesn't like it. And there are other ways to move. So really opening your mind to options of movement, things you might eat, and also your healthcare team. Who do you have that you are working with? And I think sometimes, and I'm talking about myself and clients that I work with, they think, oh, that doesn't work. Like acupuncture, I'll just use it as an example. Acupuncture doesn't work. That's possible that it, yeah, Lauren, it might not work for you, but one treatment is not the way to decide that it doesn't work. Or I'm going to stop eating sugar. And I do that for like two days. Uh, doesn't, doesn't, didn't help. Well, okay. Well, it's only two days. <laughs> like it was only one treatment. So I think that from the a mind, like an opening your mind perspective and changing your mindset, if you're going to do something or try something, like give it a real try, like have a few treatments, see how your body responds, go for another treatment and see what happens because you, we have gotten to the situation that we're in and it's taken a while for it to happen, right? So it's not going to be resolved in one treatment or changing one thing that I eat in 24 hours. Like that's not, there's no magic cure. So I think that that's a, a big shift in perspective that people need to, um, if they're dealing with a chronic condition or something they don't know what they're dealing with, open your mind and just be patient because it takes time for your body to respond to whatever you're doing to it or giving to it or receiving, right? You need to give it time and you can't just expect an instant result because it's not how it works. I wish it worked like that. <laughs> I'd be a million, a bajillionaire. I would be a bajillionaire if I could find that magic bullet or that thing that worked right away but doesn't exist. So be patient and get some information and ask questions and try different things. And what works for you is not necessarily going to work for me, but it might. That's the thing. It, it might. So there's no harm in having a massage therapist, an acupuncturist, a naturopath, your family doctor, your room, like all the people you have everybody so that you can get a, I think a bigger picture and different perspectives on the same, same diagnosis or condition, because each one of those, I think, go together holistically to help treat. You can't just do one thing. 
I, I don't think, I don't believe that just one thing is the secret. It's not the secret. It's a little bit of everything and you put it together in a holistic uh, treatment plan, right? And then that way you have a lot of tools in your toolbox to, to turn to for different situations, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree completely that generally one practitioner isn't going to have the magic answer. I, I do believe in a more holistic approach completely. And I've been through a lot of the things that you were talking about, like, you know, between my, you know, my depression, my anxiety, my chronic pain, you know, canceling a doctor's appointment, but I'm not going to say, oh, it's because I've got too much anxiety to get out of bed or because, you know, my fibromyalgia is really working overtime today. So yeah, I totally get that. And, and I, I unfortunately do live where I plan on, you know, doing family events. And then I know that I'm going to spend the next few days recovering. That's, that's how I live. I don't do that often, but for special events, I, I do do that. Uh, you know what, Lauren? Absolutely. And so do I, and I'm not saying you don't, but when I first got yeah. diagnosed, I literally would like, look at like, I would go to work. I was teaching at that time. I was in the classroom and I would, I would say, okay, so I get home. I finish work at three. I'm home by three 30 pajamas are on at three 35, take some Advil and Tylenol about three 40. And then I'm in bed. My husband comes home from work by six. Okay. So I have between 20 to four and six o'clock to have a nap so that I can be up when he gets home. And then we have dinner together. Like, so mm -hmm. I would, you know what I mean? And that would be my routine. And so it's not, it's not effective because you really don't like a two and a half hour nap is not <laughs> enough sometimes, right? Like yeah. it's not enough. However, I'm exactly like you, like tonight and tomorrow are really busy for me. So Sunday and Monday, I'm doing nothing. Like I, there's nothing happening in my calendar. So whatever has to get done will be tonight and tomorrow. And that's it. Like nothing's yeah. happening in the next two days. Do I need those two days? I don't know but they're in there in case I need them. Whereas before I absolutely needed them. And so by changing, like I said, how I move the foods that I eat and really knowing what my triggers are, then I can actually, you know, have those days that I, if I need them, but needing them is much less frequent than it used to be. If that makes sense. So yes, you yeah. always need the buffer days. I think <laughs> really important. even if you don't have a chronic pain condition, you don't have fibromyalgia buffer day is awesome to do nothing, but yeah. it, I don't think it needs, I don't think it should be a regular thing. And right. that's kind of how I was living. I was living flare to flare, not event to event. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's totally. a shift, right? Yeah. You know, talking about movement, I, I'm fascinated that you got chronic pain, but you're also a pain reduction coach and personal trainer. So like a lot of us just stop moving when we have chronic pain. I've pretty much done that. I've tried two rounds of physical therapy. I've tried yoga, um, not in person, but on the TV. So maybe that's what I was doing wrong. I've tried aquatic therapy. It all makes me hurt worse. So what do you do differently? <laughs> this, this is such a big question. Uh, so so number one, I would say when we don't move, so when we think about it from a, from a muscular point of view, from an anatomical point of view, all the connective tissue in our body, our muscles, our joints, they need blood flow. They need movement. And, and the problem becomes when you move, it hurts, right? But when you don't move, it also will hurt. 
when you try to move because what's happening like physically what's happening to your body we're constantly regenerating the muscles and the fascia in our body and so let's say i don't want to lift my arm over my head because it bothers my shoulder so what i do is i only lift it you know sort of to my fingertips to the height of my head i don't go any higher than that so what i'm doing by only doing that movement is I am sending the message to my muscles and to the connective tissue, the fascia, to say, okay, she doesn't need long muscle fibers because she's not extending her arm all the way. She only needs short ones. And they're meant to be long ones. But I'm not moving that way. So the body says, well, we don't need to regenerate long muscle fibers. We need short ones. So just make short ones here. So now, as repetitive, as I do that motion, the muscle fibers have now shortened themselves because I don't need long ones. And then when I actually try and reach i'm trying to reach with length and i only have short muscle fibers does that make sense so the fascia is actually making itself it, it 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 regenerates itself based on use so if i'm not doing full extension in my arm i don't need full extension in my arm so then when i try it hurts because i'm tearing the fibers because they've changed their composition so that is something to consider right is that when we don't move the muscles are like, well, we don't do this anymore. And so it doesn't get blood flow and it doesn't get oxygen. And so then it, it gets tight and it gets painful when we actually try and move. So that's one thing to consider when it comes to movement. The other thing um, from a, a, a training point of view that I would say is that oftentimes we use the wrong muscles to do a movement. So for example, and I'll talk about shoulders because um, this is a good example. Oftentimes we'll use the top of the shoulder. So the traps, which go into the neck and the deltoids, which are the top of the shoulder here to lift my arm, which is that's the muscles that should be using it. However, the, the scapula, which is the shoulder blade should also be anchored. So it should be push it towards the hips. So kind of like think about tucking it in your back pocket and then lift your arm. So you're using different muscles and the lats, which are the big muscles that run from your neck to your hip and they run down either side of your spine. They're kind of like, you know, when you see people that have that triangle shape, their, their mm-hmm. waist goes, those are lats. Those are your big lats. Lats are also responsible for anchoring and helping you lift your arm. So if those muscles, those supporting muscles are not doing their work to anchor you, then when you lift your arm, you're just going to use the top of your shoulder and it's going to hurt because you're only using part of it. So that's the other thing to consider is when you're doing a movement, what muscles are working? And some of them are primary, some of them are secondary, and some of them are tertiary. So there are some that are really tiny and supportive. And then there are the other ones, the big ones that are the movers. So what muscles are moving? What should be moving? And what muscles are not being involved that should be involved? So this could be also part of the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's not a matter of, I just raise my hand above my head. There's a lot of things happening in the shoulder, in the front and in the back that actually allows my arm to go up. So especially when it comes to shoulders, because for people that have fiber of the shoulder and neck area, it seems to be one of the really triggering areas. So just mm-hmm. think about is those, are those shoulder blades, you know, pushed down towards your hips and activated and anchored before you actually move your arm. So that they are doing some of the work, not just the shoulder joint doing the work. And then the other thing that um, I think that I do a little bit differently is that 
moving is important and moving is what you like. So I like to dance. Okay. I'm not a good dancer necessarily. And I don't do any particular, like I'm not, I don't do salsa or ballet or anything. I just like to move to music. So for me, that's movement. So that's where the shift in perspective is. What does it look like for you? Right. Yoga is not good because <laughs> I am hypermobile and many people that have fibro are also hypermobile. And so what happens is when you do yoga, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Lauren, but this is what happened to me. When I go into a yoga pose, I can go really far into a yoga pose and I don't feel it. So this is this, my osteopath and massage therapist explained this to me actually a couple of weeks ago. For many people, when let's say you're doing yoga, when you go into a stretch, let's I'll take the biceps to the top of the arm here, you'll feel the stretch sort of in the belly of the muscle. So kind of the center of the muscle. Most people will feel that people that have fibromyalgia often will be hypermobile. You don't feel the stretch in the center of the muscle. We feel the stretch where it attaches to the bone. And by the time we actually feel that, which is not often in the moment, it's after you've actually gone too far. But when you're doing the yoga pose, you're like, I'm good. Like, I, I don't feel anything. It's okay. Because your stretching point where you feel it is where the muscle attaches to the bone. So when I'm in down dog, I don't feel anything through my shoulders at all, or even through my hips or anything when I'm stretched, when I'm in the pose. But when I get out of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, and not right after it's like the next day or two days later. And then I feel it, but it's at the attachment point of the muscle. It's not the center of the muscle where most people, when they're in that down dog position, they're like, oh, I feel my hand, like the back of my thighs. I can feel my hamstrings. And you're like, I don't, I don't feel my hamstrings because we don't feel it in the same place. And our receptors that give us that feedback are different than other people's. So we get receptive information sent to us differently. And the receptors mm -hmm. act differently. So when it comes to things like yoga, yoga is like, I would, I'm not going to say don't do it. If your body likes it, do it. My body does not like it. So I actually practice Qigong, which is um, a looser form of movement and energy um, than Tai Chi. Tai Chi is much more um, regimented in the style. Qigong, I find, is a little bit more fluid and loosey-goosey so if you can't raise your arms it's okay tai chi you gotta it's a martial art you have to do it this way qigong is like well you can try it this way but if not make it your own so i found that that has really helped reduce my inflammation um so i think yeah you just gotta kind of find the thing that fits and i also find every day is different and sometimes i think we're i think we're taught that unless we feel pain or like that our muscles are sore, that we haven't done anything. And I think it's a big fallacy because we have so many layers of muscles in the body and we have so many small muscles in the body that actually are very important. And they're so deep or so tiny that we actually wouldn't feel them doing anything and they wouldn't be sore after a workout or after some kind of um, whatever movement I was doing, but that doesn't mean that they didn't do work. Does that make sense? So I think yeah. really from a supportive point of view and from a, how do I know that I exercise? Well, you want to feel, you know, that 
you're energized or you want to feel like, oh, like I, I feel like I, I'm tired, like I did something, but it doesn't mean that I lifted something heavy mm-hmm. or that I, I can't walk the next day. Like that, that to me is, uh, why would you do that? <laughs> like even as a trainer, why would you do that? Why would you even want that? Right. But moving is getting blood flowing through the body. And that's what you want. So if that means you go for a walk or if that means you meditate, meditation is great. People, you know, there's so, so many healing things about meditation. And I know many people hate meditation and they hate the word, but to focus on your breath, breath is important. So look at things that are a little bit more gentle and that might not, and I put in quotation marks, feel like you did a workout is not necessarily a bad thing. I hope that answers. (laughs) No, it, it does. That was really interesting information. So what about if we're engaging in movement? How do we know when to just push on with some kind of discomfort and when we should stop because we're actually making things worse? Yeah. So, so again, you need, I like people to decide, is it uncomfortable, like discomfort, or is it pain? And so when we talk about pain, Pain is such a, it's such a deep topic. Like it's so, there's so many good resources out there on pain, but pain, my body doesn't know I have pain. Okay. So if I touch a hot stove, my hand has no idea that it's hot. What happens is the receptors in my hand send a message up my body, up the spinal column into my brain. And my brain goes, Oh, there's something happening. There's some kind of input of information. What is that? And the brain, it's like a card catalog. It's like a database. It just flips through the database and goes, oh, remember that time that there was that thing, the feeling was the same and it hurt and it was hot and we went out and we cried. It's the same. It feels this, do that. So then it sends the message back down to your hand and you go, ow, and you pull it off the stove. Like that's what happens. My body doesn't know I have pain. My brain tells me I have pain. That, that's how pain works. So, so that's, so that's one thing I would say when you're deciding, am I in pain or am I in discomfort? And, and the fear is in there, right? Because we don't want to have a flare. We don't want to be in bed for four days, right? Absolutely. So then I would say, you know, when you're doing something, don't go into it full force, like, like don't charge into it, right? Do a little bit. So let's see. And this is the phrase I use with myself and with my clients, Let's see what happens. So let's see what happens when I get you to raise your hand above your head. Okay. And what will happen oftentimes is people, I can't do that. Okay. Can't you, or have you just not done it before? And it may be that you can't absolutely. But think about what I said earlier about those muscle fibers. So you might not be able to do it because you've never, you don't do it anymore. So your muscle fibers are nice and short, but let's see what happens if I try and put it, you know, my fingers towards my head, I'm going to raise my hand as far as my head. Let's see what happens. How's that feel? Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Let's try. Let's see what happens if we go a little bit more, but again, I'm anchoring my shoulder blade. I'm thinking about the movement and I'm going slow into the movement, right? Pain is usually sharp and instant, right? Discomfort is like, oh, that feels a little bit different. That feels like, I don't know. So really, the mindset is really important. It really is when you go into something, because if you say, I can't do that, 
you have told yourself you're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. Right. So that's an important piece. Now, the other important piece is, you know, do you have a diagnosis? Have you talked to your healthcare team? What have they said? Have they, so I have a shoulder injury right now. And I have been told by the doctor, there might be a tear. I am not allowed to lift my hand above my head right now on the left side. So I'm not doing that because I'm waiting for an ultrasound. He's like, I didn't say don't move it. Right. He said, just don't lift it above your head. You can move it. And I said to him, it's interesting. We're talking about this. I said, I have a sling. Should I use the sling? And he said to me, no, don't use that all the time because you're going to make the muscles stagnate. They're not going to move. They're going to get stiff. And we don't want them to get stiff. We want them to have movement. He goes, if you're doing something that you're concerned that you might injure it, absolutely put the sling on. He goes, but I don't want you to wear it all the time. Just don't lift your hand above your head. Try to move it. So there is, you have to be mindful of what is happening. And is it pain or discomfort? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good explanation. And the fear is really important, right? Like this is important because the fear of something is protecting you, right? Like, like your body has had pain, your body has had discomfort. And so your, your body is going to protect you. So when you start to lift your hand above your head, your body's going to go, ding, ding, don't do that. Lauren, stop, stop, stop. And you're going to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Okay. Maybe you shouldn't. And this is where knowing your body, what is happening with your body, right? You know, that you can or can't do something. But let's see what happens if we anchor your shoulder blade, if we focus on your breath, like change the way you're doing something because the way you've been lifting your hand above your head, that doesn't work. Is there something that we can change a little bit to maybe make it possible? And maybe not, but let's experiment and, and, and see what works. And then the other piece I would say, which is really big for me, and I, and I do think that people that are dealing with chronic pain should really be mindful of this, is what foods are you eating? Because if you have inflammatory foods, you have inflammation in your body. And if you have inflammation, then you're going to have pain. And so getting rid of inflammatory foods is really important um, and, and being aware of what triggers you. So I know what foods trigger me and will cause a flare. So I don't eat them. I just don't. I avoid them. Does it suck sometimes? Yeah, <laughs> it does. There are days you're like, man, I really wish I could have that. But I know it's going to cause a flare. So do I always avoid it? No, there are times that I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat that because I want to. But I also know it could affect me. But that's my choice, right? So mm -hmm. being aware of and knowing what your triggers are is really important. So on the subject of fear, I recently realized that I avoid a lot of activities because of fear. I'm afraid they'll make my pain worse because sometimes they do like doing the dishes, putting dishes into the dishwasher that makes my back pain worse. A lot of the time it's a valid fear, but I know that not like, I know that not every activity will always make me feel worse. How can I either, you know, overcome this fear or at least get to the point where I can, you know, push myself to do the task anyway. So I would, so the, number one, I would say, don't push yourself <laughs> that I wouldn't push myself to do stuff. I just don't because the flare is too bad and too intense that I don't want to have two or three days in bed. So I wouldn't push yourself to do it when it comes to fear. 
like I said earlier, fear definitely is a protective mechanism in the body. But is there a way that you can modify the activity? So, for example, you know, I don't know. Can you sit down when you unload the dishwasher? Right. Which I do. Which I do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an option. Right. Is it, you know, ask people for help. Like maybe you can unload the dishwasher to putting the stuff on the counter, but going overhead to put it in the cupboard is too much. So that's, you're not going to do that anymore. Someone in your family maybe could do that for you. So see if you can find different ways to do it. Right. The thing is, is that if you, you know, everything I'm saying is my opinion and my experience. So you and all the listeners can take it or not. Right. But the thing is, is that if you're always living in fear, then you don't have the opportunity to explore what could be better. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So maybe chain, like I would say mindset is a really big thing. So I don't go into something with, oh, that's going to cause a flare. I I never go into something with the idea that I'm going to have pain because you are teaching your subconscious mind. So this is, this is where sometimes people have the, the missing piece and it doesn't make sense for them. Your subconscious mind is the most important part of your mind. It's not your thinking mind. It's not your conscious mind. It's your subconscious. Your subconscious mind is designed to give you what you ask for. And if you say this is going to cause me pain, it's absolutely going to cause you pain. Now, I'm not saying pain's not real. That's not what I'm saying, right? And that is just in the mind because that's not true. But think about what I said earlier. When I touch the stove, my bot, my hand does not know that that's painful. There are people in the world that do not have pain receptors. Like there are documented cases. They can walk on glass. They can touch hot things. They can pick up coals that are from the fireplace. They do not feel the pain because they have no pain receptors. So when those receptors are like, they have them, but they don't function. So when they're turned off, they don't have pain. So it stands to reason that when I'm then saying I have pain, even before I get it, then I've told my subconscious mind, let's have some pain. And it goes, okay, I got you, Lauren. I got you. You want pain? In abundance. I have it for you. So this is where the mindset piece is really, really important. So I would say for you and for anyone that's listening, instead of going into this with a, like a, because this is how I used to be. I would like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try and do this. And, and I would have panic. Like the anxiety would be like painful. Okay. In my chest, I could feel the compression and the constriction happening because I was so afraid of something. So instead of going it with a fear mentality, go into it with a, let's see what happens. Why don't I try this for 10 seconds? And, and, but that's where the, the, the mindset shift happens, right? Is I'm going to do this. So unloading the dishwasher is a good example. I'm going to do the cutlery. Let's see what happens. That's it. And, and, and then the piece that's important is the goal was to let's see what happens when I unload the cutlery and stop. And I think, and I'm speaking of me, (laughs) what I would do is go, Oh, that was pretty good. I'm going to do the rest of the dishwasher. And then I have the flare. Then I have the pain. What I should have done. And what I do now is let's do the cutlery. Yeah. That okay, I feel good. And then I leave. I don't, I don't finish it because the, the experiment was, can I do this piece without having pain? Let's experiment with it. 
the ex that is the experiment, not to complete the task. So then the next time I go to it, think about it, it's a database. Let's see what happens now when I do cutlery and half the glasses, right? And I mean, from an efficiency point of view, not the most efficient way to unload the dishwasher. However, it's, it's a great way to really slowly shift your mind and your perspective on how you're going to do something, because it could be then that you, then I'm going to do the rest of the glasses. Then I'm going to do half the plates. Then I'm going to do the rest of the, do you know what I mean? So each time you do that, you have a success and your brain goes, Oh, and the body goes, Oh, that didn't hurt. So then the next time you, and this is the association piece. The next time you go to the dishwasher, you won't imagine automatically go, Oh my God, I'm afraid. And I'm going to get paid. You're, you're, body your mind remembers remember last time lauren we did the cutlery no pain and you go yeah i do okay let's do that again so you're kind of building up to reducing the fear does that make sense the way that i've explained yeah. it so yeah. yeah try to not go into something with oh my god this is going to cause a flare it's like going to an event and go this is going to be a horrible party well yeah you just decided it's going to be i'm going to be stuck in traffic all day yeah because you just told you just told your subconscious mind to bring you traffic so look at it right <laughs> Right. That's what happens. So it is really important to think about how are you going into each thing that you're doing? Go into it with the, let's see what happens. I'm only going to do this little piece. I should be okay. We'll see what happens. And then just do that. Don't push beyond that. I love that. That's so practical and easy to implement and it makes perfect sense and you can build up to doing more and more to the point where you're like, okay, this is what I can do you know, period. And which is probably more than just the cutlery, but yeah. it's a great experiment. Yeah. And that's, and that's how I say, you know, with my coaching clients, with my training clients, everybody, it, when I teach fitness class, even this morning, I taught a fitness class and some of my people were like, I can't do that. I said, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's, let's break it down. Like that's the other piece, right? You break things down into smaller pieces. You don't have to do everything. Like you don't have to do all of it today. I mean, yes, efficiency and all these things. Yes. I want my kitchen to be clean and blah, 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 all the laundry. <laughs> it's fine. I got a laundry basket in my laundry room sitting there. It's from last week. It's guess what? It's fine. Like it's folded. It's fine. It's clean. People can come get their own laundry. It hasn't made it upstairs. And that's the other piece. It's okay. Like it's okay. I mean, I, I really don't think that your family and friends and loved ones are going to go, oh man, Lauren's such a bad person because she didn't unload the dishwasher. Like Fran's terrible because she didn't put the laundry away. If that's your evaluation tool, I need different friends and family. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And that's not the case, right? That's just not how it's going to be. So I think we, I think we are harder on ourselves than we need to be as well. And, and a win um, I, I was speaking with a client yesterday, her, she, she comes to one of my fitness classes online and her win yesterday was she came to the class. She didn't do the class. She didn't do the class. She came to the class. She logged into her computer and she sat with us while we did the exercises and she participated in the conversation with her camera off because it was hard for her eyes yesterday. And she came to class and she sent me a message after she goes, I had a win today. And I said, Oh, really? What's that? He goes, I came to class. That was my win. So I think yeah. the shift in perspective on what does it mean to be productive or successful or have a good day? What does that mean to you? And some days, yeah, turning on the computer and not doing the workout, just showing up 
is your win. So shift your perspective on what that means for you in your life, because you're not the same person that you used to be. It's you're just not whether you have fibro or any other chronic pain, or you're in a different decade of your life, or it's pre kids or post kit, like you're in a different phase. So your life is not the same as it was like three months ago. It's different, right? So your expectations or your way of evaluating or looking at your day as successful or productive or whatever word you want to use, that changes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, right. I wore my pajamas all day. That's awesome. I think if you wear pajamas all day, that's a huge success. <laughs> like, pajamas all day. You know what I mean? But we look at it as, oh, like I couldn't put my clothes on. No, I got to lounge all day. Yeah. Shift the way that you look at it. Right. And that will change you know, how you're viewing yourself in this, you know, pain journey that you might be in. So let's talk about one of my favorite topics, which is how our emotions are related to our physical pain. (laughs) So I read a book called A Day Without Pain, which by Dr. Mel Pohl, P-O-H-L, and it explained to me, and and I've seen statistics on this before, basically between 50 to 80% of our physical pain is from emotional pain of some sort. And I think that we can all relate, like if we're stressed out, we might get a headache. And um, apparently I'm a fairly somatic person, according to my trauma therapist. Um, And I think that was proven recently. I was doing EMDR therapy and we were going through a, a memory And it was such an emotional and difficult memory for me. I started having, well, first I started getting a headache and then my ears started ringing. And then I had a panic attack and I was hyperventilating and crying and all these things. So how would you describe the relationship between our emotions and pain? Um, Yeah, like our body stores our emotions. And if we don't feel the emotions and release that, it gets stored in the body and it, it manifests as pain. And your example of stress is perfect. And it's the one that I use when I talk about pain. I have everybody, everybody, well, 99.9% of people, <laughs> I'm sure there's a point one that's not, um, everybody has a spot on their body that is their stress spot, right? Mine is my right low back. Okay. And when you feel stress, that part or that thing, like your headache or something, it will flare up and you will feel it. And that right there is your body's response to an emotion, an emotion of feeling stress Mm -hmm. or anxiety or overwhelm or whatever it is. And there are days that I will go through my day. And I'm like, Oh, my low back, my right low back. And it's always the right side. Oh, that hurts. And I, and I'll sit down and go, what did I do? Did I do yoga? Did I like, I'll literally make a mental list of all the things that I did in the past, I don't know, two days to see if I can pinpoint what caused that. And I can't. And I'm like, Oh, I must feel stressed. There must be some kind of stress. And then I go, okay, what, what could I be stressed about? Then I start to make a mental inventory and I go, Oh, it's this thing that's coming or it's this 
thing that happened that caused me stress and my body flares up and I feel that pain. And you, and the thing is with the emotions, we really need to release them. Like, and what I mean by release is to feel them. So when you feel like when you were talking about going through that process, like maybe you needed to, you know, yell or cry or uh, scream, or I, I don't know what you, you have to feel it in your body. And that releases it. So if you're upset, if you're sad about something, like this is a good example. People I hear, don't cry. Crying is weak. Crying is not weak. Crying is the best form of emotional expression that there is. If you are sad or you have grief or you have frustration, sometime when you're frustrated, you want to cry. I'm a frustrated crier myself, but you don't do it. You're like, I'm going to hold that in because I'm going to be brave and I don't want people to judge me or whatever. No, let that out. Let out. Because when you store it, it ha- it's energy. The energy in your body has to go somewhere. Well, if you don't let it out, it stays in. And then eventually something's going to happen, which is completely unrelated, probably. <laughs> it's usually how it goes for me. And I'll see something. And then all of a sudden I'm like in tears. and. Like my husband's like, what is happening? Right. What, what's happening? Like, he'll look at me and go, I don't know what's happening with you. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm sad about something that I didn't deal with. I didn't actually feel the emotion. So it's really important that we feel our emotions because once we feel them, our body allows it to, to release that energy comes out. And if we don't, we get pain and that's just how it works. And so it really is, you know, it's, it's a combination of the physical part of it, the somatic piece, right. That you mentioned the cognitive piece and our memories, right. And how we express the feelings attached to them. And some people are very uncomfortable with emotions and with feelings. And we, I don't know if you heard this when you were growing up, but I remember remember hearing don't cry or, or, you know, you shouldn't let people see your emotions because it's not, it's not polite or it might make them feel uncomfortable and you hold them all in. But when you hold, like, think about all the, all the years of our lives that we've been holding in these emotions. Yeah. No wonder we have trauma in our body. Like no wonder that we feel that. Um, so yeah, a day without pain is a great book and the body keeps the score is excellent. Yeah. And your yeah. mind over body is good. A good one as well. Um, I just read another one called the pain relief secret by Sarah Warren. I think it is. I think that's her last name. And she does, she's a somatic, um, practitioner. Um, so she talks a lot about moving and, and by moving and, and thinking about it from a, kinetic point of view, we're getting the energy to move through the body as we move the body. So this helps release things as well. Um, but forgiveness is probably the biggest piece, um, for me that really made a difference in my pain because lack of forgiveness is, makes you angry and resentful and you hold those negative, negative emotions, cause a lot of pain in the body. So forgiveness is a, is sometimes a challenging piece for people, but it also is the biggest piece of freedom that I gave myself. The great book on forgiveness. Cause I, I find that a lot of books on forgiveness basically just tell you that you're supposed to forgive, but they don't actually walk you through what the heck does that mean? Like practically. So I read this book a couple of years ago that just came out a couple of years ago called Forgiving What You Can't Forget by, oh, Lisa okay. by Lisa Turkhurst. And it's got a workbook and it's got a, a forgiveness journal. And 
it's it's good if you're um, a spiritual kind of, of person. If you're not, then there's a lot of references to God that you, know, you may not you know connect with. But it really helped me a lot. Um, and I'm in and forgiveness. You know, is 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 a process. It's not just one thing that we do one day and and decide. Oh, I've forgiven them because I've done that before. I've I said, told myself that I'd forgiven you know my birth mom, for instance, for giving me up. But then later that would still come up and that would still hurt and I would still be angry at her. So there's a lot to forgiveness. And I think this book does a really good job of walking through. And how, how do you know when you have forgiven somebody, what does that look like? It talks about a few ways that, uh, what that would look like when you, when you've, you know, forgiven somebody, but yeah, your crying example is one of my favorites because my daughter is very, very emotional she wears her feelings on her sleeve um and yeah i i did grow up where i i was told you're just a child you shouldn't be xyz angry or you shouldn't be sad or whatever the situation was if it wasn't you know happy so i did keep all my emotions in sometimes after you know i went to bed or in the shower i would cry but i kept most of it in and so we tried to create an environment in our house where know our daughter gets to express her emotions you know we give her healthy ways to express her anger and you know we don't tell her to stop being angry because where's that anger energy going to go it's going to go into her body so like we let her you know take ice cubes outside and throw them against the wall as hard as she can and things like that and yeah when people and, and my aunt I heard this from my aunt and it stuck with me she would tell her children you know when you cry really feel those tears and so that's what I tell my daughter too, because I, I agree with you. Crying is such, so important and so mm-hmm. underrated and so taboo, you know? Yeah. And I love that, you know, and I love what you said there about you have to really feel it. Like, don't, don't just cry, like feel it through your whole entire body when you're angry. Yeah. Like throwing ice cubes. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta use your whole body. And like the goal is the smallest smashingest pieces that you can get uh-huh. from that ice cube is your goal, right? Because that yeah. is energetically releasing that anger. And it's really, really important. And I have a client who actually has created like um her emotional, her emotion kit is what she calls it. And she has mm-hmm. a space in her house and it's all the things. So there's lots of things that there. there's coloring books and crayons and there's you know nice teas and bottle of water and um she's got things like she's got like spongy blocks and stuff like that she can throw she's got things that she can squeeze she has a whole bunch of things snacks all the things and so when she goes and she has like she's like okay i gotta feel these emotions and sometimes she doesn't know what the emotion is and she doesn't know what's gonna help her so she goes to her emotion station (laughs) and she just looks at the things and she's like, what do I need right now? And she just picks what she needs and goes through the process of feeling the emotion and trying to release them until she feels better. She's got a blanket there and a pillow and fuzzy slippers and she's got everything. Like she can do anything she wants in that section of the house because that's where she goes when she needs to release the emotion she's feeling. And that's what it's for. And everybody around the house can use it. It's not just hers, but it's the emotion center. And that's what she uses it for. And I think we all need like an emotional toolkit. Like, what do you do? And when it comes to, I, I find it interesting. You said too, about that book. Like I want to, I'm going to order that book when we're done our, our talk, but um, 
when people are the spirituality piece, some people have, have a lot of discomfort with that. So I just say to people, you know, when they use, if God is it's not the word that works for you. Great. Use source, right. use energy, use universe, what, whatever goddess, whatever, whatever name works for you, George, if you want to use George, use George, if it's Sally, Sally, whatever, but just put something in there to replace that. Because I, I believe that when you shut off that piece of yourself, that is part of your healing and your pain journey that is going, that you are taking away. So you need, everybody needs that spiritual piece. I truly believe that. And if you don't, um, if that's the piece that might be missing for some people that maybe are listening, they don't have that piece of spirituality and it doesn't have to be religious. It's just a mm -hmm. belief in a, in another power of the universe for lack of a better way of describing it. And I right. think once you tap into that and, and you, we are spiritual beings. Like, I mean, we were created, we are spiritual, right? That's, that's how we were made. So think of yourself like you are the spiritual being that maybe is referenced when you're reading these materials or hearing things that you're like mm, that doesn't really sit well with me when they say god okay but how about me myself use that right because we are spiritual creatures so i think that that's a piece that people forget about but yeah forgiveness yeah. is big it's big and you're right i did the same thing as you when you said that i was like yep i got you yep <laughs> you think you forgive something you're like i got this and then all of a sudden something happened. You're like, oh, come on. Didn't I just do this work? <laughs> but I have found, and I don't know if you found the same, Lauren, that the more you do that, when something comes up, your body and your mind kind of knows, oh, yeah, okay, here we are. Okay, I could do this. Because I did the first step, which was really hard. The first time was really, really challenging. But then the next time you're like, okay, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it might be a little bit of a challenge. But the first one was the worst. Like, because I that was the yeah. first step, right? But when you get the next one and the next one, it just kind of gets easier. You just go into deeper layers, right? And um, yeah, it takes time. It, it does take time. It's, it's kind of like right. a work in progress forever. Absolutely. So what's one piece of advice? I'm sure you have a lot, but what's one big piece of advice you'd give to someone dealing with chronic pain? There are, you know, so many options that are out there. And everybody's journey with pain looks different. And so be open. Try different things. And no matter how ridiculous or simplistic it might seem, just try it because you don't know what's going to work for you until you mm -hmm. actually try it. and, and commit to what you're, what you're going to try. And, and one thing at a time, that's the other piece of it. one thing at a time. If you throw spaghetti at the wall, <laughs> all the kinds of noodles, not, and, and, and hope something works, you don't know what's going to work because there's so many options out there. Pick one thing, stick with it for a month, two months, and, and notice if there's any changes. And if there isn't, okay, maybe you continue with that, but then maybe you add something else. So really just think about it's different for everybody, but open your mind to the possibilities that are out there because there is so much out there. And even I, I, I find with people, they like talking about spirituality or energy, they go, oh, it's too woo woo. It's not woo woo. It's it's science. Like there's, there's so much research out there just, and eat, you know what, even if it's woo woo and you think it doesn't really work, 
maybe it does and it will get rid of your pain. So what do you have to lose? Like, that's kind of how I look. What do you got to lose, right? If it's not hurting you, it could help you. So try it. So really just think about opening your mind and trying different things because you'll find the right recipe that works for you. And it might take time. Be patient. That's like seven things. Not one. (laughs) That's okay. It's all good stuff. What elements do you focus on in your pain management coaching? Yeah. So we work, we look at really four key things that we look at triggers and identifying and knowing what they are. We, we work on inflammation and reducing inflammation and what affects inflammation in your body. We talk about um, negativity and, and, and mindset and changing what's in your environment, because that has a huge impact on your pain and your healing um, and um, stress reduction. Those are kind of the big four. Um, but within those, we do forgiveness work, setting boundaries, um, asking for what we need, time management. So there's a lot of big pieces, but triggers, inflammation, negativity, and stress are kind of the four. If you can get a handle on those and have strategies and tools for those, it will definitely bring down um, what you're dealing with. You'll have, you'll have better tools to manage what's happening. So tell us about the other programs that you offer. Mm-hmm. So I do have a, an online program. It's a four, four, four weeks or four modules. And it touches on those four things I talked about triggers, inflammation, stress, and um, negativity. And it's a do it yourself. So you there's videos that go with it. And there's resources and worksheets and activities and you do it on your own. Um, so it's a created uh, program for you. It's a great way to start if you're not sure what to do and you want to kind of dip your toe into it. That's um, a good way. It gives you a lot of information, a lot of tools to work with. I also do one-on-one um, pain reduction coaching, and that's a 12-week program. And so I just work one-on-one with people. We do it through Zoom, and um, we we go through more in depth with triggers and forgiveness and things like that. Um, but that's a one-on-one program that I offer. And then I do a movement session. So one-on-one, um, I use the word personal trainer. I, I don't really, cause people know what it means, <laughs> but right. I do, I do movement. I do breath work. We do some meditation together. We do some Qigong. So it's more gentle ways of learning about your body and how it moves and what feels good for you and, and how to teach you how to, you know, like I was talking earlier, anchor that shoulder blade or change and, and recruit other muscles. So I do that one-on-one movement coaching with people as well. That's awesome. So where can we find more about you and your programs? Mm -hmm. So you can find me on Instagram, uh, Fran, Fran Garten pain coach, is uh, my name on Instagram. And I also have a YouTube channel, just Fran Garten. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of videos on their movement and mindset. And so there's some Qigong and some stress stuff. There's a whole bunch of things there. And my website, frangartencoaching.com. And there are some free resources on that site as well that you can download one. There's a stress um resource stress reductions resource and there's also a pain um quiz resource that gives you some insight into you know what is causing your pain and what are some things that you can do to help with that so those are two resources that i offer for free as well awesome i will have all those links in the show notes and thank you so much for coming on my pleasure thank you for having me
make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any health parenting or life advice. For my freebie, 30 Ways to Relieve Pain Without Taking a Pill, go to adhurtstomom.com or at adhurtstomom on Instagram. If you have comments, suggestions, or want to be on this podcast, feel free to email me at adhurtstomom at gmail.com. I wish you a blessed and pain-free day. Bye.